The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Episode number 201. I don't, you can't even hesitate with that because we just did 200. We did a big celebration and I said, let's keep, let's keep it going. Shall we? We shall. And here we are. Yeah, we have uh, this week. It's uh, fantastic because uh, uh, a writer, a speaker, an author. And I think we're only just diving into we're scratching the surface of uh, David Brown, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. And it's an honor to be here with with you folks. Two hundred and one. I'm feeling old already. Gosh, (laughs) you feel old. We've been chugging along this for four years. (laughs) Sorry. I've listened to a few of your programs. It's a lot of fun. It's an honor to be here with you guys. So oh, nice. thank you. Well, Holly will send you your $5. I'm going to say the uh, checks in the mail. <laughs> we uh, like to ask the skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. David, who are you and where did you come from? Great question. So I, my name is David Braun and uh, I, well, let's go right back to the beginning. I was born in London, England. I never stayed long enough to get the accent. So I don't mm. sound educated, but uh in any case, my parents moved back. I'm a prairie boy in Canada. So grew up in the Winnipeg area, you know, kind of normal Christian family life. My dad was a pastor, uh, had three, uh, three brothers uh, and, um, and one sister. So came from a family of five and really just kind of enjoyed life growing up. And then as we kind of got a little bit older, went on and got my education, series of events happened today. Uh, I do management and organizational uh, consulting. That's one thing I do. And then the other thing I do is what you mentioned. I speak, travel, teach. And a lot of times I go with my family. I've got four daughters and they are just amazing. They keep me in line and uh, I learn a lot from them. And my beautiful wife, of course, can't forget about her. So, Well, let's go back to the beginning. You make that transfer from London all the way to the prairies. You're so young. You just... Didn't really get a chance to absorb some of that British culture. Uh, But growing up in the prairies, I mean, Johnny and I are both from Alberta, so we are prairie kids as well. Um, I really find that it kind of shapes you in a certain kind of way, that neighborly feel. And especially if your dad was a pastor, what was it like? And did you find that there was any pressure to be a certain way being the pastor's kid? Wow, Holly, that is eerie how how you zeroed into the right question there. Uh, you know, honestly, uh, it was tough. It really was. I had great parents just uh, as a starting. I didn't have dad issues in my teenage years. I didn't rebel. So, And they weren't like, you know, strict legalistic in their parenting style. But it was just tough, the expectations and the public kind of, you know, well, if you're, you know, if you're part of that family, you need to have it all together. And yet on the inside growing up, I really struggled with insecurities. I battled with all kinds of, you know, things like self-hatred. Those type of things were underneath the surface. But on the exterior, I, you know, I looked pretty confident. And in a small town, like I was, I grew up in a small town just south of Winnipeg of about a couple thousand people. Everyone, it's kind of hard to hide. And you have to get really good at managing the confidence and, and making yourself look like you're okay in order to be accepted and, you know, all that, even in the church, unfortunately, sometimes is what I experienced. So you constantly would hear though, that, that, you know, you have a God that loves you and God doesn't make mistakes, but yet you're struggling with these insecurities. How do you overcome them? 
here's the ironic thing with me. Okay. I went through my life, got my education and I went into the ministry and I, I saw crazy stuff happen. I saw God move, was privileged to be a part of some of that stuff, uh, planted churches and, and different things, but that insecurity and that fear and some of that anxiety, I was just managing it on the inside. You know, even when after I come down and after preaching, you know, what other people tell me was a, a home run sermon, I would still be walking on eggshells to get to my car because someone may stop me and say, you know what, uh, pastor, I, I have a problem with what you just, you know, what you just taught. I was so insecure and fragile, but I outwardly, I projected confidence inwardly. I was empty of security. And I came in my own life to a crisis. And, you know, and this is after, you know, I had relationship with, with Jesus, you know, and I, I knew the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, but, but there was something hugely missing in my life that I couldn't put my finger on in answer to your question, Johnny. Uh, I, you know, I kind of came to a point in, in my journey where there was some, there's what I would call uh, social cannibalism. From I, I kind of write about in my book, Are We All Cannibals, where it was just, it was to a boiling point of conflict and questions and finger pointing and blame that was stirring in our church. And that insecurity that I had managed my whole life, I ran out of the ability, the management skills on that. And I, it was a grace from God that I ran out because uh, I discovered the answer to, to, to some of my questions. Was there pressures in, uh, I mean, if you're, you're growing up in the church and your dad's a pastor, uh, we, we talked to a number of PKs and it was either I was going to go and I was going to be a pastor like dad, or I was going to do the complete opposite because I did not want to be in there. Where was your heart as you were growing up and then graduating and ready to move on? That's so important because if I hadn't had a personal vibrant encounter with Jesus when I was 13, I have no doubt that I probably would have just exited the building and probably even had an attitude against the church, and and who knows, maybe even my faith would have been would have been in it would have been in the rearview mirror. But because I had uh, you know my own kind of encounter with Jesus, my see here's a, here's an example. My dad took me aside when I was 12 years old, and he said, David, just because I'm pastor does not mean that you need to be a Christian. You need to seek out truth. You need to find who truth is or what truth is. And I will love you no matter what you find. He wasn't religious in that way of, hey, have you read your Bible this morning? He was releasing. And I was attracted to, to what he was living. You know, there was, he said, you don't have, you know, spirituality if you don't have laughter. You know, he wasn't this sober kind of, oh, got to grit your teeth. <laughs> so that for me growing up, I, by the time I was 18, 19, I hit crises in my life and depression and, you know, different, you know, suicidal type, you know, different type of life challenges, right? But in the, at the foundation of the core, I knew Jesus loved me and I was, was his. And yet this thing of insecurity and, and uh, anxiety and some of that stuff brewing under the surface wasn't fully clinched for me. I have a question about the, the insecurity. And I mean, you're in a position of leadership, you're a pastor, and we're seeing a lot of uh, pastors right now in the news, unfortunately, in some not so bright light. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's making a lot of people question, I think, the core of not necessarily their faith, but like who's actually leading us. 
do you find as you know a male pastor growing up in the church that there was this image you had to uphold to more so than uh, the truth of who you were and, and that struggle more about the image than the heart? Yes, totally. Uh, I can recall conversations. <laughs> I can recall situations where, uh, yeah, where I would start to open up or I would share, you know, um, you know, that I was struggling or that I was, I was lacking vision or, or lacking clarity. And immediately you could feel people shifting in their chairs immediately people are emotionally drawing back. So you feel as a pastor, you feel totally alone. Um, and then you're also scratching your head thinking, Jesus said that we'd be known by love as a community. What's going on here? Like, where's the disconnect? And, and, and the, the ironic thing was, is that I knew some of these people. I grew up with them. I know that they know Jesus. I know Jesus. Uh, and I think the pandemic and, 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 you know, the tensions that we are all experiencing and walking through, are definitely, you know, our magnifier of what we're feeling, um, the anxiety, you know, all those other things. And, and it's difficult. People are looking for hope. And unfortunately, for some people, they're looking at the church and they're scratching their head going, where is the hope? You have to have being a pastor put onto your heart or missions to be put onto your heart. Or you had said uh, you, you, you were even uh, doing uh, church planting. What was, what was that like? Did you have a chance to travel? Was it church planting within your own area or did you have a chance to go uh, nationally or internationally? Crazy story. Uh, I, I, one of the, one of the plants that I was involved in, uh, I, I took, this is, this is totally um, off the wall, but I took a group. I was, I was just totally like, God, I want more of you. And I, it was in my early twenties and I was like, I want to press the envelope. Right. Uh, and so I took a, a group of young people to, uh, to Mexico City. Uh, I had, growing up my teenage years, gone and done, you know, paint houses kind of missions or hand out Bibles and that kind of thing. And so we were, we just wanted to show up and support the believers there, not take over, not dictate terms. I'm not into exporting Western gospel. It's all about let's love Jesus' brothers and sisters there and serve, wash feet, da-da-da. So when we got there, they had some different things they were directing us to do, and we showed the Jesus film. They had got it in Mex in Spanish. It's it's one of the first, the chosen, the pre-chosen kind of popular Jesus films yeah. years ago. Everyone around the world, you know, apparently it's seen on every continent and whatnot, <laughs> translated into like 100 languages. But they showed it there, and, and the place we were in was a highly religious uh, you know, very bound up uh, area in, in, a, in, in a very poor part of the community. I, I had each young person share and invite people to come for prayer and no one came. No one, no one moved, not a child. We were like, wow, what's going on here? And, and so I just, I, I had 12 kids. And so each kid came up and took it, told his, you know, shared his testimony that he had prepared or she had prepared. And now no one moves. Thought, okay, I'll just go up and close in prayer. So when I went up to close in prayer, there was an elder of that, of that community who everyone regarded in the highest, right? And um, everyone esteemed him. Different culture, right? So you, you honor that. And this elder came to the front, grabbed the mic. Half the people in the soccer field came forward. I looked at my friends and said, what happened? And a, and a guy who knew a little bit of Spanish said, actually, this person said, people, these people are from God. They know God. You need to listen to them. And if anything has touched your heart, 
please uh, respond. So we had something like 50 or 60 people get saved right there, receive wow. Jesus in their lives. And there was the gentleman that we were working with, someone had just a week earlier given, given him a plot of land. And that was the beginning of that church. Then it grew to three churches. And, and so now, you know, it just keeps growing. And uh, when, the, when the pandemic is kind of, you know, uh, the restrictions come down, definitely want to fly out there and just be a part of the, the family with them. Are we all cannibals? The title already has kind of got me as to what is this about, but what is the concept and the idea behind your latest, I want to say creation, your latest endeavor, your latest writing? Good, good question. Uh, so so we, we, we just released it last, uh, just a few weeks ago in March. And the question, are we all cannibals, is something that I got um, uh, in a dream back mm. in 2000 and, uh, 2010. Okay. And I was, I was on the tail end of pastoring. I was feeling burnt out. I was feeling disillusioned. The insecurity, anxiety, paranoia had grown in my life as a pastor where I was, it was not manageable. And so there's some parallels between, I feel like some of my friends that I talked to and, you know, uh, that are struggling with that now, you know, people have lost jobs, businesses, there's uncertainty about health issues and all kinds of just about the future, right? that some of us are feeling these things. And I was in that state in our church. And I felt like my world was crashing because I was, I was in a place where I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there. And yet the entire, my good friends and family and, and, and the congregation kind of saw me as the next chapter in, in their, you know, in, in their future. And so I was stepping on a lot of toes as I began to backpedal but the problem was there was no there there have been no gap stops by the founders of our church to help manage a transition and uh, so because we were you know a couple decades old and 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 so long and short was in that space where I was having a hard time sleeping I was I was having a hard time eating I was having heart issues at night palpitations of the heart and I cried out I was like there's got to be some answer for this as your son. And I had a dream where Jesus, uh, and by the way, uh, it wasn't a pizza dream. There, I didn't have three heads. And, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know if you, your pizza dreams, but my pizza dreams can be kind of wild. And I know it's not God. It's like, wow. <laughs> it's indigestion. <laughs> yeah. That, I need to have some more thumbs the night before, right? <laughs> yeah. So I had this dream in 3D. And when I woke up, I was like, wow, there's something here for me. And in this dream, Jesus was, was emotional and he was teary-eyed. And he said, uh, you know, my people are, are caught in social cannibalism. And I'd never heard, I'd never read, I had no reference point for what is social cannibalism. And so in my dream, I was like, what is social cannibalism? And, and he said, it's where my people consume each other for life instead of coming to me, the bread of life in my blood. And I, and, and he talked about a few other things, but I, when I woke up, it was like, you know, you put on a brand new pair of glasses. You're like, wow, I can see so much clear. And I was starting to see all around me in myself, social cannibalism that I hadn't seen before. And that was the journey forward in terms of the title, Are We All Cannibals? A rhetorical question really that opens the door for everyone to examine their heart. Because I tend to look down the row and think, well, she's actually really got a problem with social cannibalism. 
<laughs> my next door neighbor, someone needs to give this book to him because he's kind of got some issues. <laughs> so the, the question is wide open to, to really see, yeah, where is that in me? And we see it in the Christian culture all around us. We've seen it in the headlining news, especially as of late. Um, and we see it when we have new pastors who are young emerging, and then it's like everyone's looking for that one mistake to tear them down. And people talk about cancel culture. I kind of feel like we might have been like one of the originators of it in a lot of ways. Oh, when you see I, that in the news, what do you feel? What do you think of when you see that? Yeah, you know, at the root, at the root of of this kind of this social cannibalism and this cancel culture, I think there's a deep insecurity deep, deep insecurity. And so like I, as a pastor, I was really good at projecting confidence, but when I was all alone in the dark, that insecurity, I was very much aware of it and it, and it kind of ruled me. And I think that that breaks my heart, you know, answered your question only. Like when I, when I hear the news and I even see, you know, you read some church articles and you see what's going on in our culture, it breaks my heart, but it's also revealing Maybe what's always been under the surface and, and something like the pandemic has sh shone a huge magnifying glass on it and, and starting to reveal maybe there's some false foundations. Maybe we're not as grounded in God's love as we maybe thought we were. And that's an uncomfortable thing to see and, and is difficult and sad sometimes, especially when you start to see it in yourself, you know. When diving into this, do you find or did you find that we are cannibalizing more of our own family members because it's easier and they're closer? Is it our friends? Is it church people or is it complete strangers? Great question. Oh, oh, man. I, I hope we've got a couple hours here. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, I, in the book, I talk about four different types or manifestations of social cannibalism. And I take them, I lift them right out of the Old Testament. And, I, and, you know, as I, as I kind of walk through it, as you walk through the Old Testament, you see four different patterns constantly being reworked through people's biographies, basically. Uh, and so to, I'm going to answer your question, Johnny. I think it's and, and both uh, in terms of personal and also public. I think that in our culture, you know, in past decades, you know, you had to be civil and so you would disagree. But inside, you would be cooking up a whole like batch of resentment and attitude, right? That you were going to feast on when you left the building or when you went on your merry way. But that still was in your heart. That was still cooking, right? And now people are just being comfortable airing it. We have social media. We have mobile phones. Some we didn't have even a decade ago. Not a lot. Well, maybe some of us knew, you know, early adopters. But this is a, a relative new phenomenon. Facebook 2008, right? So, so we have more access to tools to vent what's cooking on the inside out, and it's now become a lot more socially acceptable. Those four, you know, manifestations, uh, I call them orphan shadows, and, and they are a dictator, the loner, the hoarder, and the slave. And each one of those manifests in a different way in relationship with another person. But at its core, I'm looking to you for my life, and when you don't give it to me, then I take a piece out of you in some way. I withdraw as a loner. I attack, try to control as a dictator in sometimes the most subtle ways. Ask my wife. She, she could probably give you a background <laughs> check on that. But uh, Or the hoarder, comparing, you know, on Facebook, comparing my feed with yours. And, oh, man, you went on another trip? 
I make more money than you. And we, you know, this happens underneath the surface and it's just restless exhaustion. I, I think the easy answer would be then just don't have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Pinterest or whatever other social media. But how do we navigate this? I like what you said, the easy answer, because I think that, yeah, I mean, uh, for some of us, maybe maybe it would be it would be helpful to 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 kind of shrink the amount of, you know, FaceTime screen time we have. But still at the core, you still have an issue. You know, you're still cooking resentments, anxieties, insecurities. And as a lifelong, you know, uh, barbecuer, I'll use that metaphor of, you know, insecurities hmm. of trying to manage that anxiety and not really getting to the core. You know, you're not really getting you're not really getting peace. Maybe you, you're not you're not confronting it as often if you're not going to your screen, but you're still struggling with the resentments, you know, playing through your mind all the you know, if he says this and I'll say that in reply and and then if he comes back at me, then I'll trump him with this argument and we're not at peace and we're not overflowing with love that apparently we're supposed to have as we grow in our faith. I mean, the answer seems easy, obviously, Jesus. You know, you learn that when you're five in Sunday school. Mm. Why is it so hard, though, for us as humans to recognize it and then make the changes this goes back to my story in, in i had the dream in 2010 i came to the end of myself in 2011 as the pastor and when i came out and and i said hey i'm not going to be uh the pastor but i'm going to stay here in transition until we 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 kind of work out some foundations and figure this out well uh, for two years, endured social cannibalism. And during this time, I had an encounter with God as, as my father. I didn't drop tears. It wasn't like a, you know, front of the altar experience. But I had some people pray with me. And I had an encounter, a two-hour encounter, where God began to open my eyes that I didn't know him as my father. The one thing that I was missing, the security and the peace and the rest that I could draw from, and I was a third generation pastor, I was not finding in my relationship with God as my father. And so the, are we all cannibals? The answer to the question, what do you do with all this angst and craziness is learning to become a child and experiencing the heart of the father. That for me was a game changer. I, I tell you, it, it within about six months, I had people that had known me for pretty much my whole life including people like my wife were saying, what's going on with you? You've changed radically. You're going into crazy conflict meetings and you're like just floating in there. You're not like, uh, you know, getting all stirred up or withdrawing inward. Like I, that would be, I'd probably move into the loner, loner type of kind of holding myself up in the middle of craziness and just withdrawing into myself. And yet you're just, you're, you're engaging people, you're flowing with love, you're confronting where it needs to be confronted, or you're just blessing and encouraging. What happened? And that's where I began to unpack this, this thing, this relationship with God as, as my dad, that's just continued to, to expand in the last 10 years. And now has, I've written about that in, in, in detail in Are We All Cannibals? In the hills and valleys of life, we ask God that question. Why me? Why am I put into this situation? Why are you using me? Why am I going through this? Can you think of a why me moment for you? There, there's a couple. Uh, you know, when I when I came out of out of high school, and um, I'll tell you two. The first one is when I came out of high school, and I had a kind of a high school sweetheart, and I had started a business, 
and you know was was kind of seen i was the school president i was kind of seen as the guy who's going to be the rock star you know have it all together and literally within three months uh got in a major car accident mm-hmm. business uh fell out and was gone and my my uh my long you know long sweetheart long-term sweetheart uh you know kind of that relationship bottomed out uh and and was gone and my confidence like evaporated but i didn't know god's father in that personal intimate way that i talk about so i didn't you know i I had i was limping i my confidence was taken away uh but i didn't know security and so that was huge i mean that where i i found out hey um i i could maybe never recover from this i went into deep depression for almost a year uh to the point of of you know struggling with suicide and just slowly rebuilt myself uh, going to God's word, applying it to myself and, and, you know, entering back into prayer, establishing my identity in what Jesus did. So that was, that was the first one. The second one was the, you know, the one that I mentioned where I came to the end of myself as a pastor and all my pat answers, all my questions were, were stirring. And I met, uh, encounter God as my father. It's just such an incredible story. And I so appreciate your vulnerability because I think that's lacking a lot. And there's always these personas, these larger than life leaders. And sometimes I just wish they'd be honest like you, like maybe they are struggling and maybe there's these insecurities that would help me as a person to know that I'm not alone in that boat. And so as we see a lot of our faith and a lot of the traditions that we grew up with starting to be questioned uh, with the pandemic now not being able to meet in the same sort of way, um, things are crumbling. And I think in the midst of that, we have an incredible opportunity. So even though things can seem bad, what do you see that is going right right now? Oh, wow. I see, you know, an opportunity here. And maybe this is cliche, maybe other, you know, maybe... um, you know, other ministers have said this, but I do see an opportunity for uh, for people to have a reset in their walk with God to really, you know, to really come to the end of yourself and to see yourself not through tainted lenses that you've painted, but actually honestly evaluating saying, wow, I'm this is really tripping me up or this is really is actually a good thing. Because Jesus said no one you, 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 the way the kingdom is through uh, becoming like a child. Right. And so becoming like a child means that I feel helpless. I can't meet all my needs of provision or protection or belonging. And so I think that that's an opportunity. And, and then, yeah, in terms of what's going right, I see a lot of believers Man, and, and, and just encountering different people, uh, you know, in our in some of the city uh, churches, churches that we work with in the city that are out there knocking on doors, dropping gift baskets to people that have lost their jobs, uh, you know, stepping in even where, you know, government hasn't been able to fund homeless supports at all, all the time. We're seeing churches step in there and uh, and and even individual believers uh, booking hotel rooms for people so that they have a place to stay on a cold night. These are stories you don't always hear about in media, but they're happening. They're happening right now. So there is a there is a there is a counter story that's out there that I say right on God. It's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I feel like I should say I'm Johnny and I'm a cannibal. <laughs> but uh at uh are we all cannibals on socials and are we all cannibals.com david my friend appreciate you taking some time sharing your heart and uh, being so vulnerable 
Hey, I really appreciate it. It's such a delight. And thanks for all you guys are doing. Love your program.